Jewish Money Matters, episode 270, Claire Wasserman, author and founder of Ladies Get Paid. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's conversation is a nuanced one. We're talking all about women making more, gender power dynamics at work, navigating that as well as the way we're perceived in the workforce, negotiating for more, taking maternity leave. These are the topics I discuss with founder of Ladies Get Paid and author of the new book by the same name, Claire Wasserman. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. How have things shifted after the pandemic for women in the workforce specifically? Are we making strides? And is there backslash? Today's conversation shows the positive and the negative. Well, while much has shifted, there is still work to be done. And if there's one thing we should be doing to make strides faster is speaking about money much more openly with others. Claire's work, The Origins of Ladies Get Paid, actually began just with that premise. We've got to talk about this. The silence is not good for anyone, especially not us ladies. How did her Jewish upbringing influence her work, as well as what did she learn about money from her family of origin, some of her financial failures and wins. We talk honestly about privilege and a lot of the nuances that are part of the conversation on wealth building for women. Claire has a master's certificate in behavioral finance and financial psychology. She's a highly sought after expert for Fortune 500 companies working to improve diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Claire has traveled the country teaching thousands of women how to negotiate millions of dollars in races, start businesses, and advocate for themselves in in the workplace. Chosen as one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Powerful Women, she has spoken at places such as Harvard Business School, Facebook, NASA, and the United Nations, and has appeared on Good Morning America and in the New York Times, and now on Jewish Money Matters. Here's the fabulous Claire Wasserman. Wasserman, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's so great to have you on the show. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm so to be excited for this juicy combo. As I was digging into prepping for this conversation, I went on the Instagram rabbit hole and I found out before we even get into the topic of your latest book and your work. Funny story. You were casted for Broadway because you looked Puerto Rican. And there I'm like, oh, but I am Puerto Rican. I'm sorry, it wasn't you when you were nine. Right? Because I hear you got fired, which probably has had some impact on your money story, which we'll get to soon. Yes. And it actually had a positive impact on my money story, believe it or not. Very long story short, I had gone to theater camp, uh, was scouted and asked to audition for, um, this was 1996, uh, Paul Simon. Um, has one musical. It was called The Cape Man. Um, and they were looking for people who, you know, kids who looked Puerto Rican. And I'm, you know, pretty dark. And I guess I kind of looked it and did a good job. That's a, a whole other story of how I got, I, I actually didn't do a good job, but I was so funny in my audition. I ended up getting it for my personality, not my singing. So don't ask me to do that. <laughs> Long story short, uh, they eventually, um, before we went on Broadway, they fired everybody in the cast who was not of Hispanic origin. Now, of course, that is discrimination. 
uh, and I was part of the union. I was part of Actors Equity. I was, you know, working enough hours, making enough money. And they brought a class action lawsuit. Now, of course, I wasn't aware of this at the time. I was nine. Um, and in that class action lawsuit, you know, which they claimed racial discrimination, which of course is sort of mind blowing, right? Because like I'm a white person, right? But technically, again, still racial discrimination. They won, and that's where the positive money story comes in because the little pot of money that they won uh, ended up paying for a lot of my college. Really? So I, I don't know if I would have made more money or less money have if I had actually stayed in the show and gone on to Broadway. Um, I don't know, but uh, it also didn't do well. The The show only lasted, I think, for you know two weeks on Broadway. It was a huge flop. However, oh. in recent years, there's been a revival. I think they did it, uh, you know, Shakespeare in the Park. I, it's coming back. Um, so the Cape Man, uh, I think it's great. You know, I have no hard feelings. Again, don't, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't, it's not like they brought me to a room and fired me. Like, that happened later on in my career when I was fired from, like, adult jobs. Of, but, of, of, uh, real but yeah, no, there was money that did come out of it. Uh, and, nice. you know, thank well, you to nice. the Boston University because that's where I went and I paid for it. Wait, you went to BU? I did, yes. I went to Tufts. Oh, we're finding, I went to Tufts just around the corner. Sorry. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get into Tufts, so congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I didn't get into Harvard. <laughs> okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, the other Boston school. Yeah. <laughs> wow, how funny. All right, so. Let's talk about your work. You're the founders of Ladies Get Paid, the, the author of a book right behind you, beautiful book, same title, speaker, podcast host. You're on a mission, Claire, to empower women to advocate for themselves and, and beyond, really, and in a way that directly impact, impacts their bank account. Um, my first question is, I have a suspicion the answer is yes, but I want you to take us behind the scenes. And my, my question is, was there a personal impetus behind this? Take us to your why behind this line of work. Sure. So the context is I was, I never really considered myself a feminist per se. I had no idea what feminism meant. I mean, I vaguely knew some things like my mom was the third class of women in college, but you know, by the time I went to school, women were 60% of college students. I just felt like, okay, it's done. We're equal. Now, of course, it's a very privileged way of looking at this, but didn't enter into the workforce uh, thinking that I was going to be discriminated against. And here's Mm -hmm. the thing. I never experienced anything really drastic until a few years ago that made me think back on, wow, actually, I think I did experience a lot. I just didn't have the vocabulary for it. So the aha moment, I guess the first aha moment in a series of them uh, was going to the south of France uh, to an advertising festival. I was there with my old company, the company that I worked for. And this guy comes up to me and he says, hi, now who's wife for you? Uh, well, certainly not his. Uh, I was there on business and it was this full week of just these constant interactions where I felt uncomfortable. I was either being objectified or not even being talked to or looked at, you know, just and this exhaustion that happened. And after the week, I wrote an essay I didn't publish, but I wrote an essay reflecting on not just the experience of that week, but throughout my entire career, the often uncomfortable gender power dynamics that happened and never, you know, having the vocabulary like 
microaggressions. Like that is a word, you know, yeah. where you can experience discrimination in very subtle ways that end up having a really profound impact on your self-esteem. And, and all of the energy that I was spending navigating those things uh, were, was energy that I wasn't spending putting towards myself and my own career growth. I shared the essay with some friends and they were like, oh my gosh, me too. By the way, this was probably 2015. They shared it with their friends. Me too, right? So it's sort of me too before me too. And I'm watching my, you know, essay effectively go viral in my inbox. And I didn't know what to do with it other than it just sparked interest in understanding women in the workplace, women in money, and began to uncover really depressing statistics, you know, 55 cents to the dollar. That's how much Hispanic women are making compared to white women. Okay. And the leadership gap. Uh, 22% of women make it past middle management. You know, the funding gap, less than 1% of VC funding goes to black women. The list goes on and on. And I'm thinking to myself, what can I do? It's, it's systemic. It's overwhelming as an individual. Literally, what can I do on Monday right. to combat these things short of quitting my job and becoming an activist? And I'm not going to do that. Like I have to make my own income, right? It took a full year until ladies get paid the real ladies get paid started to happen. And it was actually when a friend came to me and said that she had just realized that she was charging so much less than her male counterparts. And she was a freelance art director. And at the time I was the director of marketing for a company called working, not working, working, not working.com. And it's a professional network that helps connect freelancers for work, mainly in advertising tech and design. And I'd had a similar job before that. So effectively for the last four and a half years, I had had this really interesting bird's eye view of hiring and discovering that I was more interested in, in, you know, less interested in getting somebody the job and more interested in helping them thrive in the job. And so that experience coupled with, you know, the discrimination that I had felt at Cannes and this woman coming to me with this concrete problem of, I don't know what to charge. The, the ladies get paid aha moment was let's at least do an event where we talk about money and what it means to us. That is the start of everything. And I did that uh, with no intention of doing another event, let alone a company. But it was after that event with a 100 women who came that I thought, okay, there's so much richness here of facilitating conversation between women about money and then having real education that gives us the tangible, actionable next steps. And for me, my next step was creating a Slack group and inviting mm -hmm. everybody to that event. And I, I'm sure you have other questions, you know, but I, but the beginning of it all was, yeah, personal, a personal problem, frustration and anger, and then figuring out how do you use that as fuel? And then how do you focus it? And the focus was salary negotiation. That is how after that event, it was, this is a way to close our own wage gap. Right. Uh, it's tangible. There's pro, I wanted women to be able to see progress. Right. So they didn't just constantly feel depressed and overwhelmed. And um, and then after that, it's all right. You, you got more money. Now, what do you do with your money? You have to grow it. So everything snowballed from there. And now we've got over 100,000 women uh, in our community. And they've exchanged more than two million messages in that Slack group that I started in 2016. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And they're helping each other and they're helping each other find jobs and business opportunities. And you have, it's an educational platform. I mean, what you've built is really, really massive. Like you said, a hundred thousand women. And I have to, we have so much to unpack from what you said, but I'll, I'll tell you something that really impressed me because first of all, I did experience myself when I used to work in corporate the same. Now we know we have a word for it, microaggressions and only later on in life, 
outside of that environment did I really start saying, oh, wait, that incident, that that was just not okay. And that right. other incident, that was not okay. And that time when my male colleague was sent to Brazil, even though I had been working for five months on that deal, and my boss came and said, I'm sorry, we're not sending you, we're sending him, even though he didn't work on the deal. That was just not okay. Like there were so many things that were not okay, right? Or being in a meeting and some a male person say, and what do you have to say about this pretty lady? I mean, like, what? You know, there's so, but I, this was the nineties. Okay. Claire, we did not have a, words for this. Wow. We didn't have the, the chutzpah to even like question it. We just didn't, we, there was, but more than that, and this is why I'm so impressed by your community or one of the things that, that impresses me more than that, we didn't have a support system, yeah. meaning th- there was a culture that I as a Gen Xer, I grew up around. And by the way, my mother is a baby boomer as well. She was a very accomplished attorney, but we grew up in a world that's a little bit different than the millennials in the sense that we didn't have women looking out for us. We really didn't. Like it was literally cutthroat and you were on your own, um, looking after your own back. And it was just, I mean, everything about it was exhausting, but then that feeling of just being completely alone, Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which totally. now, thank God, we have platforms like yours, and obviously the internet also has helped with all of this, right? Where we can really come together and 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 shift the whole the whole the whole modus operandi from operandi from competition to collaboration, which is really a female paradigm that the world needed so badly for so long. Yes, thousand percent. And it's funny because, you know, you're Gen X, I'm millennial, but I'm seeing these Gen Z who are looking at me going, wait a minute, there was a time that you didn't consider yourself a feminist. There was a time you didn't know about the wage gap, uh, let alone like an expectation that, you know, things should be equal. So it's very interesting to, for me to be sandwiched between like right. two generations that are operating in completely different ways. And I'm kind of like the bridge, uh, sort of part in that because I'm 35, you know, and then I'm seeing like the, my sis half sister is 20, just being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right, 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 right. And I guess that's, that's positive. <laughs> it, is, it is, except yes, no, it definitely is. Uh, cause they're also not complacent. And that's an issue that happened, uh, you know, in the nine, and there's other issues why progress stagnated in the nineties. Uh, but I think there was complacency that happened where mm-hmm. there was so much progress made in the seventies. You know, again, my mom being allowed into Yale, uh, 1974, women allowed right. to get credit cards. Wow. So much progress that you assume that it, you know, that there's inevitability to it and that progress is linear. Uh, definitely not. Actually, it's quite the opposite. There's always a backlash. And so there's Mm -hmm. stagnation, a backlash, but still we carry this like, wow, it's so much better, you know, and hope we want to have hope. We don't want to live every day thinking I go into work and it's not a meritocracy and men are horrible. Like, I don't want to live my life like that. You know, I want to assume the best of people. I want to assume that I'm, you know, being paid equally, but the problem with assumptions is the potential for blindness. So it's like go in with the best intentions, but you have to, you just have to be vigilant in having these conversations because it's only then that you find out information and information is power. Right. Right. And we weren't having those conversations. I mean, I'm so glad that this is happening. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't even know to negotiate for my first bank job at an investment bank. I had no idea. Right. And only later that I realized, oh my goodness, what did I just do? 
<laughs> and also a lot of people, myself included, were actively encouraged not to negotiate by our mothers, um, yes. especially for folks who graduated in 2008, 2009. I was 2009. You know, jobs were scarce. Um, so that, and I think particularly for millennials, right? 2009 graduation, then COVID happening when that should be kind of the peak of our earning power or like the hockey stick of our, you know, how much money we make should happen around 34, 35. Uh Uh-oh. So we are just getting slammed twice at these really important parts of our earning capacity. Uh, And if you don't negotiate, A, that's leaving money on the table, but not just for your salary in that year. It's actually for your compound wealth and it's for your kids and future generations. But if you're coming at this with a scarcity, this fear of if I negotiate, I'll lose the opportunity or I'm just so grateful, right? To have it. I don't even want to like slow this down in any way. Just say yes. Um, I understand why we don't as well. So I think if anyone's listening and this is resonating with you and it sounds like you, you know, don't beat yourself up for it. There were reasons that you didn't negotiate, but now you know better, you know, you know better. And so you have to do better. Exactly. And we have to do better, not just for ourselves, but really for all the women that come be- behind us, our yeah. nieces, our daughters, our friends, our, right? Um, you definitely have the pulse on what's important to professional women today and also what their challenges are, um, being that you, you lead this incredible community, ladies get paid. What are you finding now, Claire, is of a priority? And I know we've had the pandemic and we had so much shift. So what are, what is, what are the things that are top of mind? And maybe even what are some of the challenges that you are seeing women still struggling with, particularly when it comes to money? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, listen, the issues that women had were just magnified and amplified by the pandemic. And so in one way, that's, I mean, it's horrible. And another way, it's actually good. Okay. So the worst part about it was the industries and the roles that were hit the hardest by the pandemic, you know, in terms of being fired and furloughed and wage reduction, those tended to be the industries and roles dominated by women, okay? Um, particularly women of color. These were hourly positions, right? So we're talking service workers, retail workers, um, et cetera. So there was a real uh, money loss that happened that was very scary and I th- hope and think it's coming back. The other part was that when schools were closed or there was homeschooling, the, you know, women have always been the default caretakers. Right. Uh, and so their time was now being spent taking care of kids, which either forced them to quit or reduce hours at work. Um, or they were told, you know, or looked at like, well, you're not as available or, you know, your potential for promotion has, you know, your attention is elsewhere. So sometimes it was real. Sometimes it was an assumption. Um Now, schools have gone back, um, so this is the positive part. I think remote work is great. I think, I mean, there's issues with it, but a huge issue, a huge concern I had for women in their ability to gain more money and to get promoted was um, that they needed flexibility because if they're going to be the default caretakers, regardless of if the kids are at home or not, they still are the ones who are picking up the kids. Oh, yes. So then again, they're looking at, well, if my husband or my partner's making more money than me and I'm the default caretaker anyway. Like it's a mathematical, just as much as sociological question here of, I guess I'm going to be after the one to scale down my hours or I'm not scaling down my hours, but my employer is looking at me like I might. So let's not gamble on giving, you know, Claire a promotion. Right. But with flexible work, 
remote work. It's not about the hours in the office. It's about getting the work done. Right. That's exciting. Here's where I'm seeing a focus. Boundaries. Boundaries. How do I set boundaries in this new world of work when I'm at home? Because it means that you can't, you're not going to contain it from nine to five. So therefore, is working at 11 p.m. okay? Maybe if you're making up for hours that you lost earlier because you were taking care of your kids, or maybe, oh, is this your perfectionism or your imposter syndrome? You know, is that the reason you're working at 11 p.m.? So I think there's a real reckoning with, you know, burnout and productivity and boundaries uh, in a way I had not seen before. That's great. I'm glad. I don't want people to have to suffer. I'm, it's horrible that we had to hit rock bottom with burnout to get to a place where we're focusing on it, but we are, and that's great. That is also connected to the other thing that I'm seeing, which is, do I even want to do what I'm doing for a living? <laughs> like, right. if my life is so fragile and my energy is, you know, I got to protect myself. Well, then maybe I need to not work at a place that has a toxic environment. Uh, or maybe I'm okay with working less hours and making less money because now I'm going to be spending time with my family. Like people are, I feel like people are taking ownership, um, taking command in a, in a way that there was a reset that, you know, forced us all to reevaluate. And so I think people are making choices that are better aligned with their values than, than even just their paycheck. Third part, investing. I'm seeing a lot more women have interest in investing because they saw when this, you know, when the economy went down during the pandemic, the stock market didn't follow suit. In fact, rich people got richer. So the question was, well, why not me? How did that happen? Right. And it's sort of a mind twist too. Like, wait, people are suffering and losing their jobs. It also, there's wealth building, you know? So it's again, all the bad stuff that happened, uh, I now find to be spurring positive change. So I'm, I've decided to feel optimistic, even though, of course, there's still many issues and a, you know, generational fallout that will happen from the last couple of years. No, I, I love, I love that answer. And yeah, it really does make me feel optimistic. I mean, these are really, really important positive changes. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how, how this, you know, evolves and, um, Hey, well, hopefully we'll have good news to share as time progresses. Yeah. I also I just want to note a contradiction here because I this this happens a lot. I see there's there's nuances to this that don't get yeah. captured in, in statistics and headlines. Cause I, I want to even give my myself my own sort of nuanced contradiction, which is I'm seeing a lot of women reevaluating kind of the role of work in their life, right? As it relates to their values and their boundaries. And a number of them are it's not that they're now choosing to do work that's purposeful to them actually, it's them going, you know what? Work is a paycheck and that's okay. My work doesn't need to be my family. Uh, I don't need to love what I do. I just need to know the place it has in my life and then maximize the hell out of my paycheck. So, but again, to my point of it's about taking command, you know, uh, right. and, and also just taking a holistic look. Um, because I, I just, there's, you know, listen, if your wages are not keeping up with inflation, you need to focus on making a lot, you know, you have to make money, right? but the pressure of making money and finding a purposeful career that you love and is fulfilling that also allows you to set boundaries. That is a tall order. So yes. now we are just asking ourselves, you know what, maybe a nine to five with a really good paycheck is good enough. Like, I don't need this to give me my like family life. Like I, that can be separate. So I don't yeah. know. I'm glad that you pointed it out because I'm, I'm, I, I struggled with this, you know, becoming an adult and really I'm, I'm very much 
I, I advocate a lot for finding that that career path that lights you up, that really fulfills you, that it's aligned with who you really are, right? Like, like it should not be a contradiction. It shouldn't be that your means of livelihood is here to suck the life out of you. But on the other hand, I do recognize, like you just said, there's a lot of privilege in that. Meaning oh, it's sure. not always, it's not an easy thing and it's not always accessible. You know, it takes time and it takes breaking through a lot of the systemic issues and it takes having a financial wherewithal to to take certain risks so that that you can actually find that thing that lights you up. You know, you're not you don't find it overnight right. and still feed your put, you know, feed your family or bring the money that you need in, you know? Right. Yep. It's a constant and it changes with your life circumstances too. Exactly. So exactly. It changes your with your life circumstances. Yeah, like what your priorities were at one point in your life can look completely different when you're, you know, getting prepared to have a kid. Exactly. Exactly. And I think and and that, for example, is a big wake wake up call for so many of us, right? I remember when I started having children. I was like, oh, I don't want to go back to corporate America. I have no desire to play this game anymore, right? But again, there was privilege there in that decision. I wasn't solo parenting. Right. I had, I was married to a breadwinner, right? So there's, there's a lot of nuance in, 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 in this and in, in the choices that we make. But it's important that we're having the conversation and that we're supporting each other through the process and through that conversation. Because that's what we all need to be doing. And one of the things that we sort of touched up on, and I know you probably go over this a little bit in the book, but this, this dance that we have to play sometimes at work to portray the, the right image, right? Like we can't be too aggressive. We alluded to this at the beginning with negotiating, right? But even on our, on a day to day basis, right? We can't be too aggressive because then we're the B word and we're going to be penalized, penalized. And we also can't be too soft because then we're going to get run over, right? Or just not be taken seriously. Like we both, you know, experience, right? So there's such a dance that women have to dance in the workforce to be properly recognized and rewarded. That is frankly just exhausting. Um, and I, I guess I'm asking you, what's some advice that we have that you can give us there? And are things getting better? I mean, I've been, again, I've been my own boss for a very long time. I'm very happy I am, right? Because I don't want to play these games. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you saw a lot of women who wanted to start working for themselves, you know, during right? the pandemic. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, I just want to underscore that for women of color, this is so much worse also because they have extra stereotypes on top of them. So if you're, you know, you go in to be assertive, you might be looked at as aggressive uh, for any woman, but if you're a black woman in particular. So Correct. And I'll, I'll add in my, in my case, we've started this conversation talking about the Puerto Rican thing and the Jewish thing. I also admit that in my case, I had a lot of privilege because I did not look Puerto Rican, right? right? So I am a white, officially, I am a white, highly educated woman. So when I come into a, came into an interview, I definitely had more privilege than somebody else. Yes. Cause it's how you present, which right. is also why, you know, we, like we, a lot of, we say, I mean, everybody's welcome to our programming, but we say, if you are female identifying or non-binary. So if you're perceived as a woman, you know, then like, that's how we all communicate with each other. It's whatever our perception is of, of ourselves. So, uh, I mean, first you're just aware that this is happening. And oftentimes we internalize and we assume it is our fault, right? When I was being objectified, I immediately thought, oh, is my skirt too short? Am I too friendly? Okay. It's good to be self-reflective, but let's just first acknowledge 
this is a thing that is happening that has nothing to do with me. Uh Then I want everybody to just kind of check their energy. How much energy and time possibly are you spending trying to contort yourself, right? Is there a better balance to be had? You know, because I get asked this question a lot about, you know, how do we show up as our authentic self at work? Well, what is an authentic self? I don't know, because we have different selves for different things. Like this is like who you are kids like is going to be different you know from who you are maybe having drinks with other friends or going into work like i don't always wear the same thing you know it's like you're putting on a blazer like that's just what this is just how society is and i actually find it to be a little bit relieving that i don't i can decide like i'm going to put on a certain hat today and like that's who i am and that's a choice so i think it's really about figuring out in that presentation just again, how much energy is being spent uh, mm-hmm. and looking at your instinct. And if it feels like you are over indexing as you orient yourself to be what you think somebody else needs you to be versus tweaking and tailoring your presentation as you want it to be, even if it's in relation to them, right? That balance, if you're finding that it's starting to shift, then my question would be, is this the right environment for you? You know, what are some tweaks or changes that you can make? Uh, you know, whether it's having a conversation with somebody one-on-one about something that they said or did and, and the impact it had on you, uh, or if it's digging into, you know, DEI initiatives at work. I mean, listen, if it's such a toxic environment, it's, it's going to, it's not worth, it's not worth it. And this is why we should always be networking for other opportunities. Um, that's why we need to be saving money also. So we have an, I like to call it an opportunity fund. Everybody likes calling it an emergency fund. And I say it's an opportunity fund because if you need to walk away to another thing, that that's your opportunity. That's how you gain opportunity by having that cash. Perfect. And that's exactly what this is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well said. All right. So, um, give us some good news, Claire. I think you've given us pretty optimistic news, but when it comes to the gaps, okay, the wealth gap and the leadership gap and the investing gap, are we, are we actually making headway? I think we, you, you, in terms of investing, you said that women, you're seeing women are definitely getting more involved and that's happening. Um, uh, what, what else is happening? Yeah. I also realized I didn't answer your question about optimism, um, in the workplace. Uh, I'm, not feeling great right now. Um, I just think there's a lot of backlash, um, to all of, all of the progress. I mean, we're just seeing it in regards to like abortion rights. Um, I'm gay. I'm married to a woman. I'm in California. Might be that I lose my right to be married to her if I travel to Florida or Texas. So, and again, I think we're seeing that because of progress. Same thing in the workforce. I'm seeing a lot of men saying they don't want to mentor women, um, because they were afraid, they're afraid of like the me too, uh, or, you know, cancel culture. Um, I don't, I haven't fully wrapped my head around like my, yeah, I haven't gathered my thoughts on it completely, but I am seeing resistance, um, I'm seeing resistance, really, unfortunately. Um, should all women just go start their own businesses? <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> There's definitely a reason to do it. There's definitely, you know, but if, if we opt out, then like, who else is going to be running these companies? We have, uh-huh. like, like, we have to, we have to, it's like, we just go that where gives you the best, like, health of your life, you know, so that you can do things in your life. So wherever you are healthiest, that might not be running a company because you may be so stressed out. You know, right. not, literally, it may be easier actually to work for somebody else, even if you're dealing with stuff. Um, I've seen progress. I mean, I think I don't remember uh, if we've seen, I think investing has really gone up when it comes to women, but 
the pandemic did a number on on our wages um, and also, again, with with inflation. So I, I don't know if any kind of like wealth income gap has been closed or, or sure. I, I think I mean, last I saw everything stagnated. 80s, right. 90s. I mean, progress has been pretty damn minimal um, when you look at things holistically. But because I'm, I'm not because I'm not talking about white, white collar. I'm talking about, again, people who work hourly wages because that's right. where the wage gap is. Teachers, nurses, you know, these are the women. These are the women of color. And those are not appreciated uh, professions. I mean, financially, they're not appreciated. Um, and then there's inflation. So, you know, what happens? And, you know, a huge, a huge swath of people in this country are either unbanked or underbanked. They're not even building credit. Right. So forget about all the discrimination that can happen when you try to, you know, get a mortgage. You don't even have the credit on top of it. Right. And how do you build generational wealth? You know, it's not, again, it's not just your paycheck. It's all of your assets. Uh, you know, people probably are still digging themselves out of the 2008 hole, you know, when it comes to housing. So I don't know. I, th I think every, things are so up in the air right now. Um, we just need more time to, to see how things shake out. Uh, so there's some reason to be happy. You know what? I'm going to be optimistic. We're talking about it with a sense of urgency that right. I did not see happen before the wage, uh, before the pandemic. Right, right. Exactly. That, I love that. Yes, I love that. We're, we're talking about it more and with a sense of urgency. It is, it is really important. Now, there's another side to this conversation. I wonder what you think. Um, which is, yes, we, may make headway, hopefully we are, but at the expense of what, in a sense? And the reason I ask this is because I wonder if there is a need to balance the overall conversation of professional and financial adva advancement with the fact that women often might have a desire, and it's almost like a natural, it is, I shouldn't say almost, there's a natural built-in desire for women to have a family, to nurture family, to settle down in a relationship, in a committed relationship. What do you think about that? Um, is there a need to balance this conversation a little bit more? Are we doing a disservice to our daughters? I think what is doing a disservice is the lack of paid family leave and universal child care, because there are, you know, there are some women who feel like it's a forced choice to take a step back from work right. for many years because they cannot afford childcare. I mean, right. it's one thing to like not to want anybody else to raise your kids. Like that's totally fine. And I understand that, but there's also the, I simply cannot afford it. And again, if you are compared to your partner who happens to make more, then the you're the default the one who's going to stay home. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's where it's like, all right, so there's some forced, some forced choice here. But the issue that I'm seeing is getting back into the workforce now is really, really hard. Uh, and the employer is like, well, you just left for eight years. Exactly. Well, not even that. You left for a couple of months and, and now I got to on-ramp you back. There's not a good uh, way for, I don't think employers are particularly supported in mm -hmm. how they work with people coming back into the workforce or how they, you know, re-onboard somebody who took ample leave. They're also, you know, the people who are taking leave tend to be women, right? Them, either the men are, I don't know if they're either not given leave, right? Cause it's just maternity leave or the men, there's, you know, stigma, uh, you know, if they were to take the leave. Or they're just being realistic and rational about it, which is they see that whoever takes the leave is now jeopardizing their ability to get a promotion. Right. Because they weren't there building relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where it's not as cut and dry 
Uh, and there's also no one solution. But the good side about that is we can approach it from a number of angles. Mm-hmm. Again, if I had to say anything, universal childcare, paid family leave, and then figuring out, you know, how can companies be supported to, to get folks back into the workforce? Just like there's programs for veterans, you know, once they come back from deployment, getting them into the workforce, right? How about families, moms, getting them back in the workforce? Cause they may want to, but like then they go into super, super junior position and hard, you know, that's where a lot of the wage gap actually happens. A it's lot. Because, yeah. Yeah. It's because they're having kids and either taking some time off or not, but it's the having the kid part that then just the earning every year it's, it's, they're losing out. It's called the motherhood penalty. The motherhood penalty. Yeah. And then you go back and they offer you a salary, the, the same salary you were making 10 years ago on your first job out of college. And you're like, what? Right. <laughs> I have right. 15 years of experience. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And I, I, I see, I see it from their perspective, but I do see it from their perspective, just like I'm in favor of remote work, but I do see it from the perspective of losing out on, you know, the importance of FaceTime and building relationships, uh, and absorbing other people's knowledge when you're simply physically in the space with them. Mm-hmm. So there are, you know, downsides and upsides to every part of this. I think that's been a theme of our conversation today. It's like, yeah. You can yeah. look at it in a negative way, you can look at it in a positive way, but uh to just not look at it at all really does a disservice to, quite frankly, more than half of the world's population because yeah. women, we're a marginalized group, but we're not a minority. Before we go on with this amazing interview, let me introduce you to a podcast that I think you might enjoy. Hi, I'm Francisca, host of the Francisca Show podcast. Would you like to hear stories from your everyday firm person, as well as therapists and other experts about the dynamics of balancing both the Jewish Orthodox and the human experience life? Then check out my show, The Francisca Show Podcast, with over 200 episodes out and a new one every week. You can access entertaining and behind-the-scenes stories where I give a voice to Jewish issues around women's topics, sexuality, halacha, culture, and family. It's the F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A show. See you there. That segues us perfectly into my next question, which is there's a positive, there's the negative. But again, we are having the conversation and you are now hosting a podcast with John Hancock. Very cool podcast. It's friends who talk about money. Again, so cool that this is happening, Claire. I don't know what your experience was because you're a little bit younger than I am, but growing up and even in my young adulthood, we were not having these conversations. Here I am having a conversation, hosting a show on this, but we friends were not talking about money, which was exacerbating the problem in and of itself, right? Mothers weren't talking to daughters. Friends weren't talking about themselves. We weren't, we weren't getting educated. We weren't learning from each other. It just, the, the silence and the taboo just, just bred more silence and more ignorance, frankly. Yes. Oh yeah. No, we never talked about money at all in my family growing up. Um, I only started talking about money 
after I had my sexist experience, <laughs> you know, I mean, so again, 2015. So I'm like pretty new to this. But when I started to talk about it and to talk about the wage gap specifically, I mean, no, it was not out there, which is kind of mm. funny. Now, so many articles about it. Right. I mean, things have really, really changed in the last, you know, five years. No, I'm not talking, but it also used to be illegal to talk about your salary, you know, with your colleagues. So, I mean, I think that fear certainly permeates, you know, the whole thing. And also as women, you know, it's rude. Don't talk about money. It's rude. Um, whereas I think for men, you know, they were expected to be the breadwinners. Of course, I'm talking about middle-class families, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so if women were given the option to not work, you know, well then don't worry about the money. Like that's, you know, so it's, uh, there's a lot going into this, so, you know, and I was yeah. a sociology major, so I feel in a way sort of well-primed. I'm just forever fascinated by how groups of people connect. And it's really transformative to see somebody go from, I'm never talking about money, I'm scared to talk about it, to then having a very tangible result. Wow, I had this conversation and I'm making $20,000 more because of that conversation. Mm -hmm. I always say, just decide how much your silence is worth. If by asking somebody else their salary and how they negotiated, you could get an extra 20K, but you choose not to talk about it. Okay, your right. silence is worth $20,000. Actually, it's not even worth $20,000. It's worth whatever that might be that you put into, a, you know, an, a, a high fund. Yield, whatever, you know, mutual fund. So, so and, and you know, when you put it in those terms, I can see people just go, whoa, okay. Like things may still be uncomfortable, but you you know, it's just values, like whatever's more important to you being considered rude or getting rich. <laughs> exactly. I love that. And by the way, it's not just if you're employed, like are your first example at the beginning of this conversation, even if you're a freelancer or a business owner, having the conversation about what to charge can, yeah. you might be leaving a lot of money on the table. You probably are, because if you're already nervous to talk about money, then I'm a little concerned that you're not that confident to charge a lot more. Exactly. Exactly. I want to ask about your upbringing, um, because as you well know, um, you know, so much of our money story has to do with what we saw and we learned from our parents home. What was your upbringing like when it comes to money? Lessons learned, um, whether good or bad. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And I, so I have a master's certificate in behavioral finance and financial psychology. And a lot of our homework was doing, you know, and being an anthropologist in our own life. So going back, interviewing parents, et cetera, and charting it also from like great grandparents, uh, the immigration story, how the great depression, you know, impacted them, uh, their beliefs around monies and then, you know, money. And then of course, behavior. Um, we just didn't talk about it. I mean, here's, Again, the thread of like good and bad part. Okay, so the good part uh, is my great grandfather. So he was born very poor in Brooklyn, son of immigrants, but made a lot of money. Great grandfather, ton of money. And then his son, one of his sons, my grandfather also made a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with this assumption of inheritance. Uh, my parents didn't make much. My mom worked works in the opera. My dad works in publishing. What they showed me was that you can make a living doing what you love. So that was beautiful. Uh, but I, so I'm like, okay, I get that. But I also get the privilege of not feeling like I need to save for retirement. I had student loans. So I did have debt, but I didn't have what my wife has, which is poor family. There is no retirement. Like you better work your butt off for your future. Right. Whereas I could, felt like I could take more risks. Mm -hmm. So the good thing about that is I did take risks in my career that have paid off very much so, but 
financially paid off. Like I got a really big book advance, like all these things wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken risks. However, I did not invest my money really until recently because I just thought I'd rather like spend my money. Like I don't need to really save because I'm going to get an inheritance. Well, turns out not so much inheritance left over. My grandparents lived to like 92 and spent the money on care, you know, and also I have two brothers. Uh, and I learned in school, generations of wealth get lost every three generations. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wealthy, you can really track it. By the third, it's it's not there anymore. So it, it really was this eye-opening, and I only learned this in the last like year or so, of, oh, wow, like I need to completely rethink how I'm saving for the future. I can't keep gambling, nor do I want to because we want to have a kid in the next year. Um, but it was really like my assumptions, right, which were assumptions. Uh, and, and circumstances changed, but we were never talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, never. It was only recently that I found out. But I am very glad that I operated off of a privileged assumption because it did help me take those risks. And I at least found out enough about it soon enough that I can do something about it unless there's health problems. And that's the issue with, I think, most a lot of Americans is they're like, how do you pay for a catastrophic medical issue? So I, you know, my brother's a doctor. So I think about that a lot. So everything I'm saying, it's all good until it's not good. Right. So I'm fine today. I mean, again, knock on wood, but that assumption of the inheritance really has been a very interesting for me to reflect on in the last, in the last year. It's so interesting. I never thought about it, but uh, I might be carrying some of that too. Hmm. <laughs> you just need to know exactly what you're talking. Cause again, what was an inheritance? Well, we didn't realize the care, the in-home care. And I think a lot of people are experiencing this, you know, with elder care, we're living so long living so long, so much longer than we had before. So it's like my grandparents and great grandparents, you know, they didn't have to take care of their parents for that long. So there was no assumption that you would need to save that much money, not only for yourself, but also to take care of your parents. Mm -hmm. So things have only really started to shift, you know, with the boomers getting older and what that has meant. So this is also why I kind of go back to what I said in the beginning of this is not our fault. Even right. even me, like my assumption of an inheritance. Well, I guess that's my fault. No, it makes sense also. It makes sense why I had that assumption. Because my mom always said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Hmm. It, hadn't, it wasn't a worry until it became one. And then you have to talk about it. So uh, just whatever, if anyone's having any kind of like, oh shit moments, like just compartmentalize the emotion, put it to the side and go get the, the numbers. Yeah. Like, make Just make it about the math. The numbers give a ton of clarity a ton of clarity. We seem to be so, we tend to be so scared about them. And I noticed that in women and I'm like, no, 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 no. Once you look at them, at least, you know, exactly where you are and it'll tell you what action you need to take. But if you keep not avoiding looking at them, you're, you're actually not in control. (laughs) No, no. Correct. Correct. We have to look at those numbers. Yes. You know, it's so interesting. I, I actually, I actually did start investing early, I think because I, I did realize, I didn't know that I should be investing. So my first bonus when I was 25, 21, I went and I invested it. The problem is I didn't know what I was doing and I wasn't asking questions because I didn't know who to ask. And whoever I asked, the answer I got was ask my husband. Can you believe it? Well, you know what I mean? And then you would go to this 
office and this, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. This is this white man behind the mahogany desk would tell you where to put your money. And only like 15 years later, Claire, that I see, I'm like, why the economy has done so well after the two after 2008? Like, why? Why are these funds that I invested way before the crash? They're still kind of not picking up. And that's when I really learned. And I, I have to say, I was already like, I was already in my 30s, like early 30s. I was like, oh, look at all these expenses. I had no idea. And I studied finance. I have an MBA. I worked in finance. I had no idea. I never bothered to look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? you were still not alone. Right, 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 right. Now, your work is so focused on, on improving diversity, equity, you know, inclusion, values that really you and I both know that are of primary importance in Judaism. So I wonder if maybe there's, if you think your Jewish upbringing contributed in any way to yeah. your zest, to your passion for these values and this work. A thousand percent for sure. So I'm from a um, reformed household. Um, both my parents are Jewish, uh, but, you know, didn't have a bat mitzvah. Actually, my parents gave us the choice. And so I have twin brothers. So one of the twins and me decided not to do it. And the one who did do it, it's interesting. He went to a different school than us. He went to an Italian school that made him go to church every you know, chapel every Friday. So he, so sort of his either rebellion or way of being like, well, shit, if you're going to make me go to this chapel, I'm going to make you go to a synagogue. So it's, you know, pretty funny, but no, I, I grew up in very, um, you know, like your purpose on earth is to help others, you know, not to the point of martyrdom, you know, but very much like, you know, be purposeful in, in the work that you do. Um, and also belief again, that you can love what you do and make money and help others. You know, everybody in my family has done work like that. You know, and again, one brother's a surgeon, one brother works, you know, in the foreign service, uh, and counterterrorism, And, you know, then there's wow. me. So, um, you know, my parents in the arts, like we always find something, you know, how are we impacting others is very much a through line to everything that we do. So I, I, you know, but it's also interesting to see how my wife, you know, who grew up Catholic, uh, she also is very oriented towards giving back, but it, for her, it feels, I think a lot more like a, a, a martyrdom for it. Yeah. Like I need to suffer for it. And, and we're kind of like, no, I'm okay with being rich. Like that's fine with me. <laughs> that doesn't that's, take from anyone else. You know? Exactly. It doesn't take from anyone else. In fact, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. God wants me to have the money so I can help the world. The more right. I have, the more yeah. impact I can, I, you know, I can create. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely in our core. I, I get, I get exactly what you're saying. I went to a Catholic school, so I get exactly what I, I get. I get the contrast. I, yes. I get yeah. it. <laughs> it's similar, but different. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, let's talk about some of your uh, financial Let's talk about both your financial failures as well as your wins, because honestly, there's no point talking about challenges if we don't celebrate or acknowledge, you know, the wins and the growth that also come as a result when, you know, you talked about this inheritance situation that you kind of had this assumption. But have there been other mistakes or other challenges and, and other things to celebrate? You talk about your advancement, you know, great advancement on the book. What are some other things that you can share with us? Um, I think I just had for many years a total fear of checking my bank account um, because, you know, when I graduated college, I decided to move to New York um, by $300 in my bank account, lived on the couch, my cousin in the Bronx, customer service job, waitressing job, like I hustled. Um, but every time I looked at my bank account, you know, it was a source of stress. So I thought yeah. out of out of mind, which is totally not true. Like it was always in the back of my head. Yes. And that's 
Right. And it's funny because by the time that I, same thing with my credit card, I would swipe it and be like, I'll pay off the minimum. Like didn't educate myself about it. Just thought again, out of sight, out of mind. Are you kidding me, Claire? You should know that when I went to college, I don't know how it was. I think in your days it was already legal, but when we came, came to college, you would get there and there would be like this smorgasbord of uh, credit card companies. That's how I opened my account. Yeah. Oh yeah. You too. Okay. Yeah. They should, uh, I think if they're going to allow them to do that, I think they need to have financial education tense as well. I don't think they're allowed anymore. Like that it's because I just assumed paying the minimum was fine. Yeah. I also thought, oh, if I skip it one month, what's the big deal? Like, me you know, too. I have no clue, no clue, no clue. And so I got into a lot of credit card debt, but again, instead of thinking, you know, okay, let's like educate myself. I just was like, I don't want to think about it. Mm. Eventually gets to the point, you know, I finally checked it and it turns out I actually had a lot more money than I thought. Mm. I had been going off of this scarcity mindset from the time when I didn't have anything in it. Um, so that was a huge, you know, mistake, not just for my money, but for my own sanity, like all that time spent wasted, just like being afraid. So right. I would say that's probably my biggest, just not, you know, facing the music, so to speak. Um, and then in terms of pride, uh, I've gotten a lot more comfortable negotiating, which I know sounds ironic cause I wrote a book on it, but, um, just cause I negotiate doesn't mean I'm comfortable doing it. Right. Now I definitely feel more comfortable. And I think that has to do with owning my value. So work, having worked on imposter syndrome and like, am I really worth what I'm asking? You know, I definitely think I'm worth what I'm asking, but it's still a struggle, yeah. but it's gotten better. So if any, you know, again, I'm, I'm with, even though I wrote the book, I'm in it too, still there learning and improving and also struggling because as we challenge ourselves, you know, we do new things and there's risk. It'll be a whole other, can I do it? Building the confidence, you know, commanding the dollars, asking for money for things you've never done before. Like this will always be kind of scary, but that also means, you know, you're, you're living big. Yeah. You're doing the thing. Right. Yes. I always like check myself, right? When I'm about to respond to that, I'm negotiating and I'm about to respond with like the number, right? Am I, should I, should I add 20% more? Like, you know, like I always like, hmm, yeah, let me just slap another 20% on top. <laughs> because I like, I've already, I already know, like the tendency it's always, is always going to be like to go lower than really where you need, where you yeah. need to be. Yeah. So like always check with yourself and say, no, 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 I could slap another 20% here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and sometimes I like to think of times in the past when I was very, very scared to say a number. But now when I look back at that number, it's so small right. compared to what I would charge now. So I think of, I, I feel very, um, like I'm very endeared towards my younger self. So mm-hmm. I think now project into the future when you're struggling to charge for something or to stand your ground, imagine yourself five, 10 years, 15 years from now, looking back, feeling again, that like endearment. Um, And this number that you say today in, you know, in the journey of things will be quite small, actually. I love that. Yes. That perspective. I love that. Um, I want to ask about imposter syndrome because you just mentioned it and, you know, I guess it comes, it comes up whether you're traditionally employed, or even if you're, you know, self-employed, like you and I, does it also come up for men as often? Do you think, Claire, what do you think? Is this a woman thing or is it both genders? Definitely. I don't talk to men as much. So I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I think it's everybody. I think women are probably more inclined to like talk about it because we talk about our feelings more than they do. Ah, I hear you. But here's the thing. I think imposter syndrome can come from not seeing yourself reflected. And so of course you question, should you be there? So if there's more men or white men in leadership 
and you're a woman and you're trying to get into leadership, well, just by the fact that like you can't be what you can't see, right? right. So that's huge. I also think um, women were, were socialized to be accommodating, mm-hmm. um, to be nice, to not disrupt. Right. These are not things disrupt. that don't help you get ahead at work. Uh, or you might, you know, back to what we said earlier about coming in and being assertive, but being interpreted as aggressive. So now it's like, well, how do I act? Like, so of course you're going to have all this imposter syndrome and confidence issues because you're in an environment where it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also I think on top of that, there's pressure to be you know, you have to go above and beyond and to be like perfect. And that's just not possible. You know, that feels like you're constantly, no matter how hard you're working, there's always a this like gap, like the goalpost success is going to keep moving. And so then you're going to keep thinking, again, my fault, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. So it's a lot of factors for sure. Uh, so I'm on the fence if women feel it more than men, maybe they just talk about it. I think they do just simply because the environment of work was not built for women. Right. And so contortionism, of course you question, who am I and am I good enough? I mean, right. you're probably even disconnected from yourself because mm-hmm. you're trying to please others. So that's, you know, I always joke, it's like, get the book, ladies get paid, but also get a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes, good point. You know, Barbara, Barbara Hughes and Stanley, I'm sure you're familiar with her work. She's been on the show several times and she talks about this idea that, yeah, we have some trauma about women who spoke up, they got burned at the stake. And it like, mm-hmm. really made me think. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about generational trauma. Jeez. Right. Happy genetics. All right. Um, Claire, I want to wrap it up with what I call Jewish money matters, uh, fill in the blanks. And this is a part of the show where I'll give you an open ended sentence and you'll finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Okay. Okay. The first one is when I give charity, I like to give to the national domestic violence hotline and everybody go make an account on Amazon smile.amazon. Your purchases can go towards uh, a charity. That's what mine goes to. And let's just say they've received a lot from me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's, that's a brilliant point. Um, I'm glad you mentioned it because a lot of people, I'm surprised, but a lot of people don't know that, but everybody should do that. Smile yeah. Amazon. Yes. You're not giving extra. It's not like I'm buying a toothpaste and giving money on top to them. That's, that's right. Amazon giving money off of your purchase. Right. All right. I'd love to make more money because we want to start a family. Nice. Something I wish I'd learn about money growing up is anything, <laughs> anything and everything, <laughs> the credit card, definitely how to use a credit card and how to not use a credit card. Gosh, yes. Yes. I, I still, I still, I should ask my parents. Actually, I've never really had this conversation. I don't know why I talk about money all day long, but never ask my, especially my mother, like, why did you not teach me? You're, you're an educated woman for God's sake. Like why? But I yeah. think she also, she just lived in this mindset that you just swipe and you just get whatever you want. Um, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. All right. Credit cards. Just, just, okay. Got it. I got me into a lot of trouble. Um, money, spiritual or physical? Spiritual. Nice. Something I splurge on unapologetically is I haven't done it recently, but I have no bones about getting Botox and things like that. Really? I want to hear more. My mo- talking about my mother, she's like, like every other girl, she's like, so when are you going for Botox? Like, uh, ah. The best, the best. You sound yeah, like I- my mother, really? 
You're well, so young I, though. Uh, it's when I moved to LA two years ago. <laughs> you no, know, I started by, cause I got, I sweat under my armpits and I'm on stage. I mean, now I'm doing it from home, but like I was on stage all the time. Right. So I started by getting Botox under my armpits to stop the sweating. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. And it was, it's amazing and it works and it lasts for like a year uh, and so worth it. And then I just do, you know, my forehead and it's one of those things that like, oh, it's just the fact that you can turn back time. Like how freaking cool <laughs> is that? Like I'm a little time traveler on my forehead. Uh, so I, I, you know, I stopped doing it because we were trying to save money. But whenever I used to get it, I was like, this is so, I just felt really obnoxious doing it. And I embraced it. It's like hysterical. I'm telling you, I'm going to call my mother after our conversation. I'm going to say, hmm, I'm rethinking this, Ma. She's going to be so happy. She keeps asking me. <laughs> She's like, you know, you really, it's getting a little late. You have to start when you're young. I mean, listen, if she wants to pay for it or she wants to oh, pay for money. That's such a good idea. That's what I should say, right? Since I'm paying for the education of her four grandchildren, wonderful kids. So, <laughs> all right. Um, which obviously is my responsibility. I'm not suggesting that it's hers. Um, today, well, I should ask you first, um, Claire Wasserman, spender or saver? Pretty equal, but probably I err. I, um, saver now used to be spender. Yeah. Same sure. here. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah I, I err towards spending, but I really recalibrated. And now I have actually a little bit of fear of spending, which is also not good. So it's easy. It's interesting to see how, like, I, I guess I work in extremes, but you know, just cause I used to be a certain way doesn't mean now I can't all of a sudden become this, like, I'm trying to figure out the middle ground. Yeah. No, I hear you today. I'm most grateful for, mm, I'll just say that it's almost Friday. How about that? Oh yeah. So funny. You say that I was like, Oh, Thursday afternoon. I was like, I'm so tired already. One day closer to Friday. Every time I said any, I go happy three days closer to Friday. Happy Friday. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now it's basically Friday and I'm sure people listening to this, listen, it might be the weekend. So good for you. <laughs> Finally, I'm Claire Wasserman and I believe Jewish money matters because. Because of future generations. Yeah. Claire, what's next? The book is out. The community's thriving. What is on the pipeline? The yes. podcast. What's so I happening just did, So I submitted a proposal for a second book uh, and we're actually, so the John Hancock podcast was two seasons and it's done. So now I'm developing a podcast for ladies get paid. uh, That's going to be in relation to the book and a whole programming, a whole live coach program called get into your life. Uh, showcasing stories of women who've, you know, reinvented themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you want to make a big change in your life, you know, whether it's financial or personal, professional, spiritual, et cetera, you know, how do you do that? The process of getting started, but also of sticking with it, because that's actually the hard part. So I'm going to be on the other side of the microphone. (laughs) like you. Love it. I love it. Claire Wasserman, thank you so much for this wonderful work you're doing. Tell us where we can find you. Ladiesgetpaid.com. Ladies get paid on all social handles. I'm Claire gets paid and uh, we have a video library of educational resources. So come and, you know, become a member and get access to that, but it's free to join our online community. So yeah, again, just ladiesgetpaid.com. You can also find my book on there, ladiesgetpaid.com slash book or Amazon or wherever books are sold. Just remember, do the smile, smile.amazon. So you can go start giving a piece of your purchases to fabulous organizations. Yes. So important. Thank you so much, Claire. Wonderful work. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
Thanks to Claire Wasserman for stopping by. You can find her at Claire Gets Paid on Instagram, ladiesgetpaid.com, and her book, Ladies Get Paid, is on Amazon or everywhere books are sold. Thank you for being here. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcast. I will be back Friday answering some of your questions. Thanks for sending those in, and I hope to pick a reviewer of the week and gift you a 20-minute money session. So be sure to leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.